if I pass out from not eating, I fall onto the mic, which makes some really good ASMR. Clunk, clunk. Yep. <laughs> well, that's our show. Caitlin's dead. <laughs> your cats will eat your body. <laughs> they will. And you know what? At least they won't go hungry because God damn it, if I don't hear it when they are. That big fat one will be fun. Which one? <laughs> the boy. <laughs> the hammerhead shark. Nah, Felix. If this makes it into the episode, one of her cats has <laughs> eyes on either side of its head. <laughs> he looks like E.T. <laughs> His eyes are so far apart. <laughs> he, he could host an E-red carpet, no problem. Oh, definitely. He could see all around. He'd be a very good, um, like um gargoyle for your house yes just like yes watching over everything he can check all sides of the property at once yeah if he wasn't afraid of fucking everything then sure great the neighbor kids play ball on like outside and he freaks the fuck out well i mean that's a loud noise no i get that they just they play soccer they just run also groups of youths i'm not a fan i understand oh i'm a fan they're cute kids I can't trust. They them. behave themselves. Can't trust the the children nowadays. The youths. The youths. Saved the children, but not the British children. Not the British children. <laughs> we haven't even introduced the podcast. We haven't. We haven't done anything. We're in a. What do we have to show for ourselves? Headspace. We're in a weird yes. headspace today. Yes. This is crime culture. That one's Caitlin. That one's Haley. Yeah, we're going to be talking about some moida today. We're talking about more murders. Before we get into that, there's been two murders uh, in my town in the last, like, week, within, like, three days of each other. And you're smack dab in the middle of both of them. I am. One was, like, a couple blocks on one side, and one was a couple blocks on the other side. Unrelated. So we we don't have a serial killer on our hands, but we got some... Some crimes going on. You're seeing more, like, murder and crime than when I was living across the street from that crip. Yeah. And, like, some people might be like, oh, that's not weird. Like, I live in uh, this big city and this shit happens all the time. I'm like, but I live in a very small suburb town. And this is the kind of shit that, like, never happens. And that's Not a crip in sight. No. But that's, like... (laughs) how every 2020 starts like it was a small quiet town nothing like this Mm -hmm. had ever happened and now two murders and corona and corona many murders so wow yeah but this is not about the two murders that happened in my town or Uh, my debilitating depression no this is about Mm. what is it about today Oh, it's okay. I didn't. I didn't know you were pausing for me. I thought you were like <laughs> pausing effect. for effect. Yes, it is about Paul Bateson. Who's that? So first of all, I want to start off. Don't think the irony is lost on me that this dude is up there. Spoiler alert: murdering people, and his name is Bateson, which sounds very much like Bates's son, Norman Bates. I'm just saying. Whoa, conspiracy theory. Da-na-na. But yes. Um, so, Will, Bateson's got a lot of pop culture connection reference. Meow, meow, meows. Um, because that's like weird because I don't think I've ever heard this name before. 
I know. But you will know what I'm talking about for the pop culture immediately. Okay. And some of the pop culture is interspersed in the story. Okay. Ooh. So we'll just kick it the fuck off with his birthday, which is August 24th, 1940. He was born in Lansdale, Pennsylvania to his mother, a homemaker, because that's what women did in the 40s and not much else. Mm. Got their husband's permission for credit cards and then made a home. Um, And his father, who was a metallurgist, which is a scientist that basically studies the chemical properties of metal. So cool job. Very technical. Yeah. So also not much is known about his like youth, his his youth. Youth. Um, Yes. Childhood, his family, besides like that, his dad was a metallurgist. Um, and one other thing that we'll get to later, um, but he was at least one of two kids, the oldest, he had a younger brother, and that's really all I could find. There's not, oh, people okay. are more focused on everything else that he did. So, yeah, yeah. so we're going to scoot our boots to the early 1960s. Um, at that time, he began to serve in the army and was stationed in Germany, and while he was there, he started to just drink heavily um he said in an interview later that it was quote because there was not that much to do end quote which okay all right given that we are currently in what seems like an eternal state of stuck inside with not much to do i can understand yeah there's definitely some alcoholism that's going to come of the coronavirus there's definitely some alcoholism that is coming of this time in Germany that he is spending as well. Well, yeah. No, like, that's my ne- my next sentence is literally, this heavy drinking would begin a lifetime struggle with alcoholism. <laughs> well, duh. Yeah. <laughs> no shit! If you're drinking exclusively because you're like, ah, oh, there's nothing else to do. Let's just drink. That's the start of your problems. It's not Arguably, like... Arguably, that is the problem. It's not like you're just gonna go back to, like, the US and be like, now there's so much to do, I don't need to drink anymore. No. <laughs> this is just now the tip so of the iceberg. Now there's so much to do. And alcohol will make it even more fun. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. So, after he was discharged, he returned to his hometown of Lansdale and stopped drinking. Then, wow. I know. Basically just undoing everything you just said, but that's okay because you're on the right track. All right. Um, in 1964, he moved to New York City and began a relationship with a man. Um, I, I can't tell, based on my research, who said this if it is the man he was in the relationship with or if it was paul bateson because my sources said either or but one of them would later describe himself as quote not exclusively gay end quote okay okay um so he all that's really known about this guy is that he was a musician and may or may not have said that he's not exclusively gay all right that's about it. But the relationship was basically centered around heavy drinking. Um, mm-hmm. Either frequent parties at their home or getting cocktails at the Pierre, spending weekends on Fire Island. Um, just like lots of drinking. Fun and times. then, yep, five years into their relationship in 1969, Bateson's mother died of a stroke and his brother committed suicide. Oh, damn. Okay. Yep. Well, that's some stuff to deal with yep that is that is tough 
especially when Oof. you're an alcoholic and you're in a marginalized community. Yeah. So Bateson trained as a neurological radiological technician. Ask me how many times I practiced that. And <laughs> began working <laughs> working in that capacity. Um through which he ended up getting a walk-on role in a movie you have definitely never heard of. It's called The Exorcist. And during pre-production, I was waiting for your reaction. You didn't react. I could see Haley's face. <laughs> to be you completely honest, I didn't hear it. <laughs> <laughs> Even you don't listen to your we're podcast. Having, we're having like slight connection issues. So there are there are just, like dropped words. <laughs> He was in The Exorcist, Haley. He got a walk-on oh, role because of his job. There we it already is. know that that movie's cursed. Well, he is one of the reasons why it's cursed. Because <gasps> nine people were involved with like it being cursed, and he is one of those nine that is frequently oh, Elliot, mentioned. just cut this together. Ready? Say it. <laughs> <laughs> the Exorcist. <laughs> oh... <laughs> My, um, I don't know about you. My last two brain cells are duking it out. Um, <laughs> so during pre-production, the movie's director, William Friedkin, wanted to watch some medical procedures because he was thinking about showing one of them in the movie. Um, yeah. So at that time, um, he was also looking for staff, like medical staff, who would be willing to be extras in the movie because they were shooting in new york and if they were going to do medical procedures or a scene at a doctor's office it would be perfect they'd have all the shit they needed anyway yep. bada bing bada boom so he ended up attending a cerebral angiogram conducted by dr barton lane at the tish hospital hipaa didn't really exist back then so he could just walk on in and watch Gross. Um, and he was so impressed, specifically because there was, like, a spike of blood that went up at one point, and he was like, <gasps> that's going in the fucking movie. I and don't think that's what's supposed to happen. No, it is. Is it? It is. It's got to do with, like, the carotid and all this other shit. Believe, please don't let me rehash this, because I've blocked it out almost completely. Um, but I went down a, I went down a deep, dark hole. Um, you, you, if you look up the medical scene in The Exorcist, spoiler alert, like, you will see what an angiogram looks like i'm gonna i'm gonna put a a hard uh <laughs> rule on um on spoiler alerts if anything is before the year 2010 i'm not putting a spoiler alert on it you've had plenty of time to see it so if you haven't seen the exorcist and you think that was a spoiler i don't know what to tell you man <laughs> it's either you are gonna watch it or you're not shit or get off the pot Okay, you done? You said your piece? <laughs> I said my piece. I'm just tired of someone being like, you spoiled that for me. And I was like, dude, it was from the fucking 70s. Yep. But I was talking about what I'm about to talk about in the next, like, two minutes. That's what I was talking about for spoiler alert, for the record. No, just so you know. no spoiler yes. alert. <laughs> I had nothing to do with the movie. It didn't even occur to me. I was like, oh, but I'm going to be talking about this in a minute. So who? Okay. We're jumping ahead. Um, <laughs> it's hot in here. I'm yeah. a little dusty. So hot. Hot in her. That was so bad. Elliot, please cut that out. Please, no, get, please cut in. that out. I'm not, I'm not marking it down. Stay my, in. My like, voice crack. It was bad. It was like, it was real bad. Um, it, it, but um, moving on. Pretending that didn't happen. Um, not only did he want to protect... 
predict. He <laughs> wanted to depict this specific. He could not predict what was going to happen. Let me fucking no. tell you. Um, he wanted to portray this specific procedure in the movie, but he wanted Dr. Lane to do it. And so then he also was like, I want the nurse and the technician helping you to also help to also like I, I, I want the entire team to be performing this thing in the movie. Okay. One of those team members, it was three of them, Dr. Lane, doc, the nurse, whatever her name is, and Bateson. Mm, okay. So Lane would later recall in 2018 that Bateson was the best tech he ever had. Mm. saying quote he was the best he was the most experienced and he was the best he taught me an awful lot and i considered him a good friend i didn't realize until many years later that he had killed a man i thought it was bizarre i just had no idea end quote spoilers but if you're here you know something's going down so i mean something something's hinky with this bateson guy yeah (laughs) something's not right we're focusing on him a little too much um so a few months after he initially visited um, he returned with Friedkin returned with his crew to shoot this movie this this scene in the movie which is supposed to be one of the most famous scenes in the movie but apparently it's not because you had no idea what I was talking about um, and I sure as fuck haven't seen it because can you imagine I saw a clip of the spider walk and that was it for me yeah I haven't seen the movie in a very long time so yeah fuck that well for those who don't know for like Haley and myself um, during this scene Reagan played by Linda Blair is examined medically to find a cause for why she is acting weird, which later is shown to be it's because she's fucking possessed. Mm-hmm. So in the scene, Bateson is the person or the medical person, rather, who is speaking most of the dialogue and demonstrating a calm bedside manner, which was an attribute that he actually had and got a lot of praise for, mm. like in his work. Um, because he would use the tactics that he used on um, Reagan, like to make her comfortable. That's what he okay. did with his his child patients. Um, for example, at one point he's putting those those um, like the mon- like the heart rate monitor and like you yeah. know what I mean, like the little stickums, little patch things. Yeah, and he was like, "Okay, be careful. It's a little sticky," and like being like not goofy, but you know what I mean, lighter because it's yeah, scary yeah. for a kid, or like. Um, at, like when she's being wheeled into the room he's helping her on the table he's putting the wires on her and he's yeah. saying things like oh hey could you like scooch up for me a little bit honey and like at, one big thing is during the scene um it shows reagan's face in a tight close-up um and goes back and forth between that and the procedure so okay. it's supposed to be while it's happening um and so it doesn't show Bateson, but you can hear him off screen saying things like, okay, we're going to punch your carotid. It's going to hurt. And then she'd wince, but mm-hmm. like being very explaining and being very, um, what's the word that I'm looking for? Sensitive. Yeah. So he does this and after Bateson's relationship ends in 1973, he moves to the Brooklyn neighborhood of Borough Park. He would commute there to his job at New York University Medical Center, where he was also well-liked and respected by his colleagues. Mm-hmm. And that same year was when The Exorcist came out. Yeah. And around the time that the movie came out, Bateson started drinking again. Um, it 
heavily affected his social life, as we kind of implied in the beginning of this, mm-hmm. to the point that he actually said later in an interview with the Village Voice, quote, nobody likes a drunk, end quote. No, I don't think they do. Yep. Uh, he would also go on to suggest that his appearance in The Exorcist was revenge on his dad for punishing him as a child by making him stay home from Saturday matinees at the local movie theater and listening to the opera on the radio instead. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. What a mean dad. Culturing yeah. his son. Um, so by 1975, Bateson's drinking had gotten so bad that he was let go from his job. Oh. Yes. So he began to support himself with odd jobs. He would do light repair work. He would clean local apartments. Um, at the time, by by that time, he's living in Greenwich Village. So he's cleaning apartments in Greenwich Village. He's he's doing like handyman work, and he's also he also became a ticket taker at an adult movie theater. And he Ew. also started going to Alcoholics Anonymous. Okay, did great. He successfully stayed sober. He was able to get his social life back. He would socialize with other recovering alcoholic gay men. Um, he was actually hoping for a long-term relationship to come of it. Like, he was in a good place. Mm-hmm. And then he wasn't. <laughs> By 1977. And that's when he snapped. Basically. In 1977, he started drinking again, and he went harder than ever. Um, he would say later that he, at that time, was drinking at least a quart of vodka a day. Was there a catalyst to this? Like, why he had started drinking again? Not that I could see, um, from my, not personal experience, but my experience with friends who have drinking issues. They say that it's, like, Uh a daily thing. Like, it's, it's, it's like, you're constantly wanting it, and sometimes you just slip, even if you don't mean to. Like, it doesn't, yeah. like, it's not necessarily a catalyst. Um, yeah. Or there's one person I know who thought they were better and started just having, like, a glass of wine with dinner. But mm, then okay. one glass turned into two, and two turned into eight, and eight turned into three bottles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every night. But it was, like, a slowly, yep. like, progressing thing. So we don't know, but it's not unheard of. Um, so he would drink so much that it made him just like exhausted and ruined his social life that way because he would be so drunk he would he would be pre-gaming to go out get so drunk that he was too tired to go out Mm. so on the nights that he was able to go out he went to leather bars which was something he started doing back in 1970 with a group that styled themselves like bikers um okay and then at this time in the mid-1970s meanwhile Forgetting Bateson, the LGBT plus community in New York City was going through something huge. Mm-hmm. Um, they were being terrorized by a series of what are called bag murders, which oh. means that their remains were mutilated and dismembered before being wrapped in plastic bags, typically like trash bags, and dumped in the Hudson. Oh. Yes, we've heard of these things. We just didn't know there was a name for it. Yeah. So. I don't like that name for it. Oh, the next name is worse because they were oh, also no. called the fag in a bag murders. <gasps> yeah, that one's worse. Yeah, I prefer bag murder myself. Yeah. Full stop. Oof. Yeah, I would like to say there's not much more animosity where that comes from, but I would be wrong. Um, mm. So, yeah, that hurt. 
<laughs> but um, some of the fragments would wash up on the Jersey Shore. Others would like wash up near the World Trade Center, RIP. And police traced items of recovered clothing that the victims were found wearing to a local shop in Greenwich Village that was specifically, they specifically, their clientele was LGBTQIA+. And also distinctive tattoos identified one of the victims as well. And they were a prominent member of the community, like Mm. the the gay community. Yes. So despite all of this, there wasn't a lot of investigation going on and they weren't reported on by the media. Mm. Yeah, I'm not surprised. But Mm -hmm. so because of several cases involving unidentified people and there was no confirmed cause of death, they weren't officially classified as homicides, but were listed as CUPPIs, which stands for, it's like ICUP. It always makes me think of ICUP. Um, Mm -hmm. If nobody knows what I'm talking about, spell ICUP. Um, I will wait. Yeah, you just did that. Um, It's very elementary school of you. It's very, it's very. um, So it stands for Circumstances Undetermined Pending Police Investigation. One of the cases was solved due to the evidence collected in an, quote, unrelated case. Hmm. Okay. We will discuss that. Right now. It's it's more like they're calling it an unrelated case, but it's related. If that makes sense. So, on September 14, 1977, the body of Addison Verrill, who was a film reporter for Variety, was, or like a reviewer, um, yeah. found in his Greenwich Village apartment. He had been badly beaten and stabbed to death and was 36 years old. Oof. So, as usual, wasn't reported on by the local press until journalist Arthur Bell from the Village Voice called out the media's complete apathy toward the lives of gay men, saying, quote, we're all aware that there are psychopaths roaming the New York streets and they don't advertise their intentions, uh, their attentions on their T-shirts. When they zero in on gay men, the sentiment often expressed is, quote, they brought it on themselves, end quote. Victim blamey. Yeah. Yes, very. But he, Bell is very important in a lot of this. Um, he's not afraid to be quiet. I mean, to, he is not one to be quiet, I should say. Oh, he's not okay. afraid to speak out. Um, so initially, the police thought that Beryl's thing was unrelated. Like I said, um, they thought it was actually just a robbery gone bad. Mm. So on September 22nd, days after, or eight days specifically, but days after Veryl's murder, Bell got a call from an unidentified person who claimed to have killed Veryl. Uh, mm. The caller told Bell that he and Veryl met at a local gay bar called Badlands, where they did a bunch of drugs, including pot, cocaine, and amyl nitrate. Mm. Then they left at about 3 a.m. to go to another bar called the Mine Shaft. And by 5 a.m., the caller said that they had taken a taxi to Veryl's 17th floor studio apartment, where they drank, had sex, and did more drugs until 7.30 a.m. Then he told Bell, quote, something hit me. Addison hadn't been reciprocal. It wasn't just the sex act itself that wasn't reciprocal. It was the soul act, too. I wanted a lasting thing, something that would go beyond sex into friendship, a lover, or marriage. End quote. So mm. then he briefly talked about how his alcoholism may be to blame for this and that he wasn't one for rejection uh, before saying, quote, something flared up in my head. I decided to do something I've never done before. I took a heavy frying pan from the kitchen and knocked Addison out. 
Then I went into a drawer at the right-hand side of the kitchen, removed a knife, and stuck it into Addison's chest. I plunged it too high. I should have stuck it a bit more toward the center left. End quote. Oof. Yeah. He also, at one point, like, opened the call and he was just like, I like your writing, but I'm not crazy. <laughs> like, borderline, like, um, that's almost completely what he said. He's like, I like how you how you wrote about this story, but, like, I'm not a psycho. <laughs> I think that makes you a psycho, pal. Right? Yeah. But, yeah, so Bell kept the caller talking, like a smart boy, and took note of various details that could be identifying factors. For example, at one point, the caller said that he couldn't come forward because he would lose his license and not be able to practice again, which therefore implies that he is in the medical field. Mm-hmm. Like little little tidbits that he's like, little breadcrumbs that he's leaving that Bell is just like, okay, there's another one. Yeah. There's another one. So after the call ended, Bell immediately called the police. And based on Bell's testimony, detectives were able to confirm that the caller had known that, was the, that it was a murder because the caller knew details that only the murderer would know, such as that he stole Veryl's MasterCard and passport, some clothes and $57 in cash, and that a un, an unidentified white substance on the floor was Crisco. All right. Yep. So Belt was given NYPD protection that night, and they told him to wait for another call because they just assumed one would come. And mm-hmm. at 11.30 p.m., his phone did ring again, but this time it was a man saying he knew who killed Veryl and that it was Paul Bateson. The caller also reported that Bateson had called him to confess as well and said, quote, he had to share his experience with somebody, end quote. So hmm. officers immediately went to Bateson's apartment and found him drunk on the couch. Bateson said he knew why they were there and just pointed to a copy of the village voice on the floor with the headline being Bell's first story about Veryl's murder. And Bateson was brought in to the precinct. And after mm-hmm. giving a similar confession to the police that he had given to Bell, they um, it, also he told them where the credit card and the passport were. So, like, I mean, hello. That's, but after that, yeah, that's enough evidence. Yeah, he was charged with murder. So, during the preliminary... It's fine. During the preliminary trial hearings, Bateson claimed that his confession had been given while he was drunk, and before he had been given his rights, been read his rights. Mm -hmm. Um, He also said that he wasn't the person who called Bell, and he was simply regurgitating to police what he had seen on paper. How did he know all those details, though? Exactly. How did he know where the passport and the credit card were? Yeah, and how did he get them? Yep. So he said to Judge Goldman, quote, I still contend that I am not guilty of the crimes, and I am not the person described by Mr. Hoyt at all. I feel a great loss for Mr. Verrill, and I am not at all the type of person as he has described me, end quote. Um, For the record, Hoyt is William Hoyt, the prosecutor. Um, Mm -hmm. But the judge decided... The police upheld Bateson's constitutional rights throughout the arrest and allowed the confession, along with Bell's article, to be used in court. All right. So on March 5th, 1979, Bateson was convicted of second-degree murder and sentenced to 20 years to life in prison on in April 1979. And during sentencing, Hoyt, the prosecutor, again argued 
that Bateson may be connected to the other murders. Um, he was saying he had kind of alluded to it beforehand and it didn't really go anywhere. And he was like, all right, listen, he's been convicted. I really think he's responsible for these other murders. Yeah. Um, he also said that while in custody, Bateson had bragged to a friend, Richard Ryan, that he had killed other men. Hoyt said, quote, he told Mr. Ryan that killing is easy, that getting rid of the bodies is the hard part. He said that he cut up his victims and put the parts in plastic garbage bags to dispose of them, end quote. That's pretty specific. Yep. So the judge decided that the six other murderers were, quote, too ephemeral to have any connection to the case, end quote. Mm. He was doing so well. Then he does this. So Bateson was not charged with the other murders for the other murders. Uh, But again, it's it's totally possible that Bateson is as reliable a narrator as Ted Bundy. But. Yeah, the suspicions there (laughs) like he he, mm, I don't know. He knew details. He knew details. And he like told somebody that he did it pretty much but that's what i'm saying bundy did too bundy was like i've killed hundreds of women and like we don't know that that's true yeah you're right but either way despite not being charged so they didn't charge him for it but the texas the detectives were like okay yeah bateson's a serial killer and just didn't charge him because lack of evidence but dropped the case they Hmm. took it as an excuse to drop it because once again we're not exactly gay friendly no um, not at this point and so whether or not bateson did it we don't know yeah because they never bothered to continue to look into it yeah even after that borderline confession <sighs> Great. Yep. and those people have never been identified for the record also wow yeah so bateson was released on parole on august 25th 2003 after serving more than 23 years behind bars Five years later, in 2008, his parole ended, and he may have died in 2012, but I wasn't able to find any confirmation of that. All that I could find was that there's a Social Security death index showing a Paul F. Bateson, born on August 24th, 1940, with a Social Security number issued in Pennsylvania, and they said he passed away on September 15th, 2012, which, if it is, that would be crazy because that would have been 35 years and one day after Addison was murdered. Whoa. Right? That's pretty crazy. Right? So I kind of hope it is. And I kind of hope Addison came to get him. Yeah, right? Like, okay, parole is over. Party's Your over. Turn, bitch. Yep. Um, so yeah, that's Paul Bateson's story. That's Addison Barrel's story. And also Arthur Bell, who also went on after the conviction and everything to interview him again wow Bateson. okay yes or not again but you know what i mean like officially this time yeah yeah um uh yeah and that's that's the interview that i keep referencing but i didn't want to spoil things All right. um so the case is probably best known because of the 1980 movie on which it's based cruising stars al pacino it. you probably have seen like not the movie, but, like, you've seen references to it. Probably. Yeah. Um, it stars Al Pacino, and interestingly enough, was written and directed by Friedkin. Like, William Friedkin, the director of, or the, the fucking, the producer of, um, 
or was it director? I don't remember now. I'm, I'm, I, I, fuck it. I have depression. Um, he was, he, you know what I mean? Yes. I'm losing my mind. It's fine. But the basic premise is <laughs> We're that, all on board. Yes. The basic premise is that Pacino is a police detective who goes undercover in, like, the S&M underground gay community in New York City, in Greenwich Village, trying to catch a serial killer who is preying on gay men and dismembering them and disposing of their bodies. Yeah. Um... Friedkin also was later asked about Bateson, and he said, quote, he was a really nice guy. I remember he wore a leather-studded bracelet, and he had an earring, which in 1972 was not common in the workplace. Then about four or five years later after the film, I see the front page of the New York Post and the Daily News, and he's accused of five or six murders. And they were murders in the S&M bars on the west side of Manhattan. His lawyer's name was in the story, and I called his lawyer, and I told him who I was and asked him, could I visit with Paul? His lawyer said, okay. He was at Rikers Island. I went through about eight layers of bureaucracy, and I get into his cell where there's a guy sitting outside, and I'm sitting with him in the cell. He was very cheerful. He said, I remember killing this one guy. Cheerful. He said, I remember killing this one guy. I cut him up and put his body parts in a plastic bag and threw it in the East River. Well, this is how they got him. At the bottom of the bag, in a very... in very small print that you can't even read, it said, property of NYU Medical Center neuropsychiatric center he said that's the only one i remember but they want me to confess to another five or six and i said what are you going to do he said well i'm thinking it over because if i confess to six or seven of these they'll lower the sentence end quote doesn't make any sense yeah huh Mm-hmm. but Weird. yeah and it was this conversation, Friedkin said, that inspired him to make Cruising. Hmm. All right. So the film is also said to be loosely based on New York Times reporter Gerald Walker's 1970 fictionalized novel, um, which also shares the same name. Um, cru- cruising. I, I know, yeah. but I know, but I know. I need to stop. I need to like, I need to get help. <laughs> like, I truly need to get help. Um, however, the movie, the book is, again, fiction, just eerily similar, but it was published in 1970, which was about seven years before this all started to happen. A premonition. Yes, if you will. But in both cases, the title is a play on words with dual meaning, because cruising can describe not just gay men who are cruising for sex, but police officers who are cruising around like on patrol yeah so the movie was not liked it was borderline 2015 stonewall oh no oh yeah um in terms of how poorly it was received by critics Um, is there a tomato meter score there is we will get to it can i guess Um, it you can but you won't get it right (gasps) (laughs) yeah yeah you want me to guess right now? Yes. Is it... 12? No. I told you. Look. Told you you wouldn't get it right. <laughs> what is it? Um, we'll get to it. Oh, okay. um, so... The... It, it just... 
panned by critics. The movie was panned by critics. Oh, no. Um, and also by gay rights protesters who they not only protested during shooting of the movie, but oh. they protested the film's promotion because they believed that the film stigmatized the LGBTQIA plus community. So mm-hmm. Bell then wrote in the Village Voice that the movie was, quote, the most oppressive, ugly, bigoted look at homosexuality ever presented on screen, end quote. Oof. Yeah. So the movie also is said to have gone on to inspire acts of violence towards the, towards the LGBTQIA plus community. Whoa. For example, according to a 2013 book by film professor R. Hart Kylopatrick, two months, quote, two months after the film's release, a bar prominently displayed in the movie came under attack by a man with a submachine gun, killing two patrons and wounding 12 others. Friedkin refused to comment on the attack, end quote. Oh, that's terrible. Mm-hmm. And a 2016 article in the New York Times identified the shooter as Ronald K. Crumpley, who was a former New York City transit police officer. However, despite Kylo Patrick connecting the incident to the film and its release, the New York Times didn't give an indication that there was a connection. So we don't know. New York Times hasn't also been like firing on all cylinders lately, so I don't know. But to answer your previous question, today the movie has a 6.5 out of 10 rating on IMDb, an 80% Google score, but we know that those are red herrings. And a 49% tomato meter and 48% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. That's not as bad as Stonewall. Stonewall was a lot worse. It got no, like I mean nine. in terms... I know. I mean in terms of how it was received, it was bad. Oh, okay. Everybody fucking hated Stonewall. Everybody hate. Well, everybody back then when it came out hates this movie. Now, apparently, people don't then. care. Yeah, no. The, the critics' consensus, though is a hoot quote cruising glides along confidently thanks to filmmaking craft and al pacino's committed performance but this hot button thriller struggles to engage its subject matter sensitively or justify its brutality end quote Mm. which yeah uh but if you want to subject yourself to it you can watch it on voodoo for free v-u-d-u voodoo yep and Furthermore, season 12, episode 12 of Criminal Minds is believed to be inspired by Bateson because the episode's killer targeted homosexual men, found them in bars, charmed them into going to a secluded location, and then killed and dismembered their bodies. So, I mean, that could also be like just a generic, without the, the cannibalism, that could be like a generic uh, description of Dahmer too, though. I know. I know. But they didn't mention Dahmer on the Criminal Minds wiki, so I'm not going to either. All right. But also, the killer's last name is Tolson, which is kind of similar to Bateson. Not going to lie. Even though it's not, the first half is completely different, but they have the son. The stretch. They both have son. Yeah. Um, but if that doesn't do it for you, there's one more. Bateson and his story are also featured in the second season of Mindhunter. For those who don't know, it's a Netflix mm. series based on a true story about the the FBI agents who I feel like we've been over this but FBI yes, agents who built up the serial killer profile and essentially invented the term serial killer. But yeah. um we love it. It's great. He's played by Canadian actor Morgan Kelly. 
Um, he's interviewed by Wendy and Agent Smith in the series, um, but there's like a whole episode about him dedicated to it. And uh-huh. yeah, I don't know whether or not they interviewed Bateson, but they interview him in this. Interesting. Yes. And that is Paul Bateson and the shit fuck murders he may or may not have done and the ones he did yeah yeah so that's part of our uh our pride month yeah we're talking about uh the huge advancements the lgbtq community has made with stonewall and the the terrible things that happened to matthew shepherd but we're also talking about some lgbt murders Murderers. Yeah, because because that's the thing you said earlier was you hadn't heard about Paul Bateson. And pr- if I can be presumptuous, you hadn't heard about the murder of Addison Verrill or the bag murders. No, and, I didn't. Yeah, and they should be talked about. Uh, Arthur Bell hit the nail on the head. He was like, these need to be talked about. And I completely agree, especially since they just closed the fucking cases and tried to like rug sweep. Yeah, so, and the fact that they let six or seven people go unidentified mm-hmm. is wild mm-hmm. just because they might have been a part of a community that was marginalized that's ridiculous yeah it's really fucked up and <sighs> that is why we're talking about it because well first of all because this podcast is all about things being fucked up but it, it's you you gotta honor the dead by remembering them yeah and even though we don't know who they are we know the story we know who most likely probably did it. And and you can hope that that piece of shit is dead. Yeah, he's probably dead. Addison Verrill probably came back from the dead and killed him. We'll never know what I mean. Come on. Yeah. I mean, some people will say like, well, um, the people died and he went to, to jail for something already. Like, what was the point of... Um, did you need to identify him for everything? And and the answer to that is, is yes, because those families deserve to know what happened to their family members and have their day in court with the person that did that to their family members. So yeah. even though he was, um, he was tried and he did go to jail, he deserved to be confronted by every single one of those families if that is what they chose to do. Yeah. And also, again, a lot of these people were unidentified but he knew who they were because of how he was able to get them alone and everything he had to know who they were and that's just yeah or have some information on them if they were in a bar they had ids probably so he probably had access to that information after the fact well and again he stole veril's credit card and passport exactly so he could have had other people's uh, uh ids and stuff as like trophies if he already took the ID from somebody he definitely killed. Yeah. And those people, like, their families wouldn't have to be possibly still wondering today, well, are they alive or did they just run away? Spoiler yeah. alert, it's hardly ever ju- them just running away, but... Yeah. Yeah, um, so... Yeah, so close that's down that the soapbox. Yeah. Not uh, a fun well, one. <laughs> no, they're never fun ones. Mm-mm. Um, we'll have more information on our website that is crimeculturepodcast.tumblr.com and on there you can find all the links to our social media the Facebook, the Instagram, the Twitter uh, we have our Patreon 
Um, just a reminder, all of the money from our Patreon this month is going to a Marsha, Black Lives Matter organization. Is it the, going to the Marsha P. Johnson Institute? Yes. Okay. So if anybody that's, donates that's cool. to any Black Lives Matter um, charity or program or anything like that, yeah, they get a card. They get yes. a the personalized uh, postcard from yes. us. Send us a uh, screenshot of your donation receipt and your address, and we will send you a handwritten postcard from us. Yeah. Um, and I think that's that. This I'm, is your second episode this week. Don't get so greedy. Don't get greedy. We'll see you on Tuesday. <laughs> and we'll what? That's that. We'll see you next Tuesday. Thank you. All right. Don't, don't yell at me. Well, you said we'll see you on Tuesday. Give the people what All they right. want. We'll see you next Tuesday. We'll see you next Tuesday. Bye. Bye. Is this a contest? Because I'm winning. Yeah. No, I'm off. <laughs>